A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Word of God, word of life. Thank you, Allison. And grace and peace to all of you gathered here this morning and to those of you joining in online. Robin Wall Kimmer, in her book Braiding Sweetgrass, talks about pecan trees. They don't produce a crop every year. Instead, they scan their environment to gauge the needs of the season. And in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, in my aunt and uncle's backyard, 2021 was a bumper year for pecans. I had visited that November on my way back from my dad's wedding, hoping to see my grandmother on my way back to Minnesota. We arrived in the evening, and the next morning, as Jason, Amy, and I were about 15 minutes from going up to see her, we learned my grandma had died that morning. And while we had originally planned to come back to Minnesota right after visiting, suddenly we had this expanse of time with my Aunt Donna. Meeting her in my grandmother's memory care room before the funeral home came, staying in town the week before the funeral, just being present with each other. My mom, Donna's sister, died when I was in middle school, and of all the people to be in town and present for the loss of my grandma, her mom, it was us, her beloved sister, Katie's kids. There is some profound sacredness in the timing of that for all of us. And in the shock of processing, we, my aunt, Amy, Jason, and I, wandered around their backyard picking up pecan after pecan after pecan from the ground, filling sack after sack after sack, like a pecan Easter egg hunt. And every time we thought we had found them all, more would appear over and over again for the entire week. And whenever I see pecans now, I remember my aunt and my grandmother and this abundant generosity of the pecan trees and the comfort of being together for this awful and sad week. And there's a fondness for this sacred time together, even as I miss my grandmother. And I think there's something of this complexity when we talk about the Beatitudes, the way blessing, pain, justice, and making peace are tangled. 
The Beatitudes, called that because of the Latin word beati for blessing, marks the beginning of one of Jesus' most famous sections of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And this section is more or less Jesus' intro to the whole sermon. And because this passage is so familiar to me, I can take for granted how countercultural, how challenging to the status quo it was and continues to be. Not many of these things sound like the kinds of things we naturally wish for ourselves or our kids. And to preach on these famous blessings in the wake of news this past week of shootings in California last weekend, along with release of news of Tyree Nichols' brutal murder in Memphis, feels daunting if I'm honest. These blessings are not a tool to be used against those who are hurting or being harmed to keep them placid for a future maybe. They are an invitation for beloved community to live in a radically flipped upside down world and in so doing to taste and see God's love. And the people gathered around Jesus saw glimpses of these promises in action as Jesus began teaching and ministering in Galilee. And here in the Beatitudes, Jesus promises comfort to those who mourn, living out those promises from Isaiah 61. And word of Jesus spread. People came in droves. And having seen these crowds, Jesus goes up the mountain. And after he sits down, the disciples come to him. And given Matthew's frequent references to Jewish scriptures, maybe we're meant to recall stories of Moses going up to Mount Sinai for the covenant and Ten Commandments back in Exodus. Might this encounter with Jesus be meant to bring about something like that radiance of Moses back in Exodus? Maybe there is something about going up away from the crowds and demands, resting and getting some perspective that gives room to hear these teaching of Jesus. Where might we need that sort of spaciousness to give ourselves some margin to let our scripts about God, where God is and what really matters be flipped. And perhaps as Jesus speaks to the disciples, the crowds gather in closer and settle around them to listen. Maybe as the disciples watch people coming in, these Beatitudes remind them of actual people in the crowd. And perhaps this is an invitation to see the crowds with their many needs and demands with a more compassionate filter. Instead of only seeing the inconvenience or the heaviness of what's needed, to remember them as people beloved of God and connected. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a range of interpretations on this one, from literally destitute to brokenhearted. And I wonder if there is shared overlap that in just being awake to our neighbors, the world, and ourselves, we recognize our shared frailty and dependence on each other. To be alive is to be supported and connected by so many other things, whether we can recognize it in the moment or not. And perhaps to be poor in spirit is to be awake and minding the gap between what is and what should be. And in noticing and tending to that, God shows up. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and thinking of the loss of my grandmother, and that time with my aunt, I find Amy Jo Levine's reflection on this blessing poignant. To mourn is to say, I loved this person and I desperately miss this person. And a heart that knows how to grieve is a heart that knows how to love. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. 
Inheriting the earth involves a responsibility to care for it and not just plunder it. And perhaps the one who can listen and not lord it over others are most support suited for this responsibility. And maybe there is something in this humble in it togetherness and not just for ourselves that leads to the hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be filled. In the wake of this week, I needed to hear this as a promise, that that hunger for justice will be met. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Mercy does not eliminate a need for justice. Mercy sets aside the demand for injury for injury, knowing that this loop would never end. And I think our capacity for mercy is linked to our capacity for gratitude for seeing the ridiculous abundance of grace heaped upon our lives and remembering the ways that we have been held and supported. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For me, Cole Arthur Riley's description of wonder in her book, This Here Flesh, feels like purity of heart. She writes, wonder requires a person not to forget themselves, but to feel themselves so acutely that their connectedness to every created thing comes into focus. In sacred awe, we are part of the story. And she goes on to note, practicing wonder is a powerful tool against despair. It works nearly the same muscles as hope, in that you find yourself believing in goodness and beauty, even when the evidence gives you every reason to believe that goodness and beauty are void. In wonder, we see sacred connection. And maybe that sacred connection moves us towards peacemaking. And peacemaking is different than harmony or agreement. Peacemaking requires justice. And I can't help but ask if that leads to the next blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for justice's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Throughout history, we've seen what happens to people who lead in calling for justice. Martin Luther King, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Jesus, and countless others. And while I'm not advocating suffering, I am curious about the taste of justice in the kingdom that is so compelling and moving that speaking up is worth the risk. And I find it interesting that this blessing loops back to the poor in spirit, both share that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, as though all these blessings might be a spiral that is looped through again and again. These blessings can feel heavy and burdensome, like something we try and fail to live up to, or like, come on, Jesus, we are tired. But I'm starting to see them a little differently. Blessings or joy, in the words of S.A.S. Roske in his book, Inciting Joy, are imagined to be the result of some accomplishment or acquisition. But what happens if joy is not separate from pain? What if joy is not only entangled with pain or suffering or sorrow, but is also what emerges from how we care for each other through these things? What if joy is what effloresces from us as we help each other carry our heartbreaks? And he goes on to say, my hunch is that joy is an ember for a precursor to wild and unpredictable and transgressive and unboundaried solidarity. And that solidarity might incite further joy, which might incite further solidarity. 
My hunch is that joy emerging from our common sorrow, which does not necessarily mean we share the same sorrows, but that we in common sorrow might draw us together. It might depolarize us and deatomize us enough that we can consider what in common we love. And it's why I think of joy, which gets us to love, as being a practice of survival. When hearing the Beatitudes, remember the joy and care in this, that living in this way is not just for some future heavenly reward, but that living and caring for each other in this way is tasting an abundance of life in the present too. It's an opportunity. And yes, it is risky and likely painful, but wholeheartedness is. To live wholeheartedly is risky. It will take you to people and places you never thought you would go. Your heart will likely get broken, and it will likely upend what is comfortable and routine. But there will also be joy and community and wholeness there too. When we might be tempted to yield to overwhelm, to cynicism, to numbness, we are reminded how we show up matters. And God is found in the showing up in community. How will we receive these blessings? Where will we be invited to show up in connection? May we be open to the world flipping upside down, backwards, inside out. May our eyes be open to encountering God in the people and places we might otherwise overlook. And may we have margins in our heart and schedules to be present to God's invitations in the here and now. And when we are weary and wondering if showing up matters, remind us again and again that it does, and that you, God, are with us and faithful. May we live as a people who believe that the world could be something different with the courage to dream of a new way. Amen.